The views expressed on this podcast represent only those of the hosts and do not represent the views of the Student National Medical Association. The Mighty Region 1 is excited to present our 2022 Regional Medical Education Conference, ARMEC, hosted by the Arizona College of Osteopathic Medicine at Midwestern University. ARMEC is a region's annual student-led conference initiative that seeks to equip SNMA members, community members, and pre-health students with the knowledge and skills to succeed and thrive in their academic and professional pursuits. Themed, hashtag, we are all in this together, the Region 1 RMEC will examine the current times and the effects on medical learners. Join us for our first conference back in person. Attendees are encouraged to engage in target dialogues and discussions, clinical skills workshops, and an exhibitor fair for pre-medical and medical students alike. It's time to reconnect. If you have any questions or concerns about the conference, please contact our planning team at region1armec at snma.org. You know what time it is. It's time for SNMA presents the lounge. You know, whether you're in the student lounge, doctor's lounge, or lounging around at home, get ready to join SNMA for meaningful conversations on topics affecting minorities in medicine and groups that often sit at the margins of healthcare. I am Dr. Alduin Samari, a.k.a. White Coat Poppy, a.k.a. Bronx Neuro Doc, a.k.a. Enriching Doc. BX. And you know what's the question of the day? What are your top four sides you having on that play to Thanksgiving? Isabella, let them know, let them know. <laughs> um, well, I'm student Dr. Isabella and my top four sides. So definitely mac and cheese. Every year I make my famous mac and cheese. I feel like I've said this on a prior episode. So if you guys know me, mac and cheese is like number one. I don't... <laughs> Like you, I guess it can also be considered an entree, but I think turkey is like just by default the entree. So I'm gonna say mac and cheese, sweet potato with marshmallows is second for sure. Uh-huh. Um, third probably would be mash. Mm, I'm not really mashed potato. Actually, I think more so like stuffing. I think would be another one for me, but I have to make it myself. I feel like I don't really like the pre-made or pre-packaged ones. <laughs> and then the fourth one. You. Yeah. And then the fourth one, I mean, I don't think this really counts as a side, but like I'm a sweet tooth. So I feel like a dessert. So I, I really love like apple pie. I'm actually not that much of a pumpkin pie fan. Like I have to get apple pie um, on my plate for Thanksgiving after I eat the main course. So yeah, those are my top four sides. What about you? You know, I'm thinking like, you know, I ain't trying to copy your style, but mac and cheese was number one on my joint, you know, Mm -hmm. like uh fried chicken you know how i feel about this <laughs> and this list like you know i'm made me feel like i gotta go on diabetic diet because i ain't trying to get no dka but uh cornbread <laughs> to my soul man you can't ooh, go get wrong with the cornbread ooh. <laughs> and then i gotta get a double of fried chicken i'm gonna get another double of that <laughs> you feel me i was saying barbecue chicken with fried chicken but i'm gonna go with the fried chicken you feel me and enjoy that but i love that that's that's a good one yeah, well, in this, you know, season of Thanksgiving holidays, let's start it up. Let's start off the show. It's time to run the list. So for our free clinical students, running the patient list on the wards allows the team to address pressing matters of the day. In this segment of the show, we'll be discussing some recent events in medicine and beyond affecting our communities and the populations we serve. So just a good way to kind of start it up. This is a medical podcast. So, of course, you know, we always have our awareness month. This month is Alzheimer Awareness Month and Alzheimer's, as you and I both know, considering that we are, you know, within clinical medicine is a neurodegenerative disease and the most common cause of dementia. Um, And basically dementia is just a fancy way of saying uh, someone having a long term impaired ability to think, remember or make decisions impacting everyday living. So it commonly affects those people, you know, older age, especially after age 65. In terms of the incidence, that means how many new diagnoses we get per year and the prevalence, which is the amount of people that live or are currently living with this disease, it nearly doubles every five years. So it's a very you know significant uh, disease process. And I think one of the biggest things with Alzheimer's is that it really can affect someone's quality of life in terms of like what they're able to do for themselves, right? Like simple things like right. 
bathing yourself or, you know, you know, uh, being able to go to the grocery store without someone's assistance. Like those are all really big things. And so, and a lot of people have family members or friends that they know who are actually, you know, suffering from this condition, um, you know, for transparency's sake, like my own grandfather, my dad's side had, you know, suffered from dementia. I don't know if it was mm. Alzheimer's, but it was definitely a form of dementia, which, you know, is reasonable considering he lived to such an old age. But I think that no matter what age, it's still something that's very difficult to see in a loved one, um, especially when you knew that person when they were lucid and able to kind of be like, kind of think and do things for themselves. Um, but yeah, what do you kind of think about Alzheimer's, Aldi, yeah. considering that you are, you know, a neuro resident <laughs> and yeah. this is kind of the stuff that you do. What what are some facts you want to drop for listeners? Yes, yeah. you know, to, you know, uh, I love neuropsychiatry and this is like the perfect integration, you know, Alzheimer's awareness uh, month. Uh, we know that al Alzheimer's dementia is one of the only, I mean, one of the dementias that are out there. The most common dementia is Alzheimer's. It makes up 70% of the dementias. And then the other 30% are frontal temporal, Huntington's, mm -hmm. Parkinson's, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And when we particularly talk about Alzheimer's, um, what we know is that in particular, 80% of people over the age of 80 have some form of cognitive impairment, most commonly Alzheimer's dementia. Mm -hmm. And an important statistic to note is that Black and Hispanic populations are between 1.5 and two times more likely than whites to be diagnosed with dementia, particularly Alzheimer's dementia. And among black Americans, 70 and older, 21.3% live with some form of Alzheimer's. I recently read, well, not recently, but about a year ago, I read a book by my uh, one of my mentors. He doesn't know yet, but I'm going to meet him one day, Dr. <laughs> Sanjay Gupta. Uh, the oh. book's called Keep Sharp, Build a Better Brain at Any Age. And it talks about Alzheimer's in particular. What we know is that Alzheimer's dementia is also called type 3 diabetes. Why is that the case? Well, there's a correlation in particular with diabetes and obesity in regards to developing long-lasting Alzheimer's dementia. But along with that, what we note is that what we thought initially about the, you know, the creation of Alzheimer's dementia is thought to be created by the overproduction or decreased clearance of protein metabolites such as amyloid. But what we don't know is that the creation of that, is it a reaction to what we deal on an environmental basis every day? Or is it something that is naturally occurring in our body? And that's what we are having a hard time elucidating at this particular moment. Right. But the pathophysiology, although it is very complex, there are ways that have been shown to prevent or slower the um, the uh, the possibilities of you developing Alzheimer's dementia. Number one, exercise. Mm -hmm. If you exercise even 15, 20 minutes a day, that decreases your risk. Social mobility and social consistency. So having a great social support group around you mm -hmm. decreases the prevalence of you having uh, Alzheimer's dementia. What we find, obviously, in America, so many of our elderly, they are oftentimes isolated. Right. So many of my patients that I'd be seeing that in their 70s, their 80s, they living by themselves. I had a patient three weeks ago, was 91 years old, with you know, she started to have memory issues, but she was still driving and whipping around in New York City, pulling up to Connecticut. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yo, hey, Shelly, I'm trying to be like you when I grow up. You feel right. me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So the fact of the matter is that a lot of our elderly population, they're not uh, supported, they're not serviced in the right way, and there are not enough resources to allocate, especially when we talk about in the next coming years, the, the baby boomers, right, they're getting older. They're the ones that are going to be 70, 80. Our parents are approaching that age. So mm -hmm. we have to do them right because they invested so much in the future of America that we have to invest in the past in sorts in regards to what they got going on. Third, one of the other ways to prevent Alzheimer's dementia is getting in interacted and engaged in different kind of activities. So learning new things, right, doing puzzles, like learning how to play the piano, uh, learning how to, if you've never done yoga, do yoga, start writing, engaging yourself in different ways that kind of challenges the brain so that the thing that we call neuroplasticity in our brain, which allows our brain to expand and develop new neurons, mm -hmm. it allows those new neurons to build bridges and gaps so that it can fight against the Alzheimer's disease where those right. plaques and, you know, the degradation of everything going on in your brain are affected, you know. Right. And last but not least, one of the other things is, uh, we have to, you know, maintain the, the fact of the matter is that Alzheimer's dementia is not a disease that is exclusive to just the black community. Obviously, it's a, it affects worldwide so many individuals and we have to lend support and have the appropriate resources. You know, so the Alzheimer's Association is an 
uh, the www.alz.org about, you know, the U.S. Uh, HHS site. There's also uh, a website for that as well. So you guys definitely check that out in, the, in lieu of what Alzheimer's dementia is and what it represents because it could affect your loved ones or it could affect someone that you know. Alzheimer's is a disease that not only affects the brain, but it affects also the body. People start to become malnourished. They're at increased risk for pneumonia. There's things like uh, psychiatric illness with that, depression, psychosis. So being on the lookout, I think oftentimes in our community that we neglect that and we have to challenge ourselves to say we have to be educated about it. Things like if you see your grandparents starting to lose focus or starting to forget where they put their keys or starting to forget where how to get home from specific mm. paces, right? It may not be Alzheimer's, but it is definitely a form of dementia, as we mentioned, which is also right. a form of cognitive impairment at the end of the day, you know, and age by far is the greatest risk factor. Dropping but I want to actually- yeah. Oh, well, sorry. No. Well, you're going to ask me something? No, What's no, I, no, no. I know you mentioned like I know you mentioned like you know um, your grandfather dealing with it. But it, um, have you ever cared for someone with Alzheimer's disease or another form of dementia as well? Um, your- I'm pretty sure when I was on neurology, I think I could have had an Alzheimer patient or two. And it's definitely you know interesting to kind of see um, that that kind of dynamic in terms of building rapport and like being understanding if they can't really remember you or can't really you know understand what you're talking about but right. honestly really it's just patience and just kind of seeing the person for who they are um outside of their illness or their disease and mm-hmm. it's really nice too because a lot of people like have caretakers or spouses who are mm-hmm. right there beside them when they're in the hospital and they would tell me about all the things they used to do before the illness and like who they were and it's just amazing yep. to just kind of know that they have such a, a good support system who can speak on behalf of them even when they can't really speak for themselves if that makes any sense so right. i think it's it was a privilege to care for um patients who uh suffer from either alzheimer's or a form of dementia um and listen you know i think sometimes it's difficult to really figure out if some people's behaviors is it dementia or is it lunatic behavior because kanye you right. know the way he's moving a little bit My i don't know if this man I don't know if this man got dementia early onset or if he's just loon, a loony. Um, this man has just been in the media for several weeks due to a series of things that he has just been doing, including offensive and anti-Semitic comments towards the Jewish community. And has he's just been losing brand deals left and right, man. Like oh, I didn't even know, I didn't even know Foot Locker sold. <laughs> Uh, Yeezys, but they said I've he never lost- seen one pair of Yeezys in Foot Locker. <laughs> Nonsense, lies. <laughs> but they were like, "Oh yeah, we're dropping our brand deal with Kanye." I'm like, "Do y'all even sell his stuff?" So that was yeah, definitely right. interesting to see. But you know, it's been a really big um timeline with him, right? Like when it comes to all the things that he's been doing in terms of burning bridges with people because of his mouth and just his mind. <laughs> and I know he, I know he suffers from bipolar disorder. So like, I don't want to, you know invalidate some of the things he could be doing because of his mental health but i do think that like at this point now we need to do better with helping like control this influence he's having in society because it's just really toxic you know he's been disinvited from the grammys this past spring after posting a video that was against pete davidson the one that kim is messing with now you know um in terms of yeah she dropped like a hot potato like a hot potato so you know that's just and, you know, as expected, because like I said, he has a lot he needs to deal with. The White Lives Matter thing that he was on mm-hmm. with Candace Owens, I was wow. like, that's when I really said it's, it's just done for him. I like, there's no use of me even <laughs> saying my piece because he's already just he's just done it to himself you know um, right. just on and on. You can go about all the things he's just done um, in terms of, you know, horrible, like controversial things that are now popping up in the media and causing him to just burn all of these bridges and relationships with people who really were, you know, setting him up and putting him in a platform of success. Like, you know what? I mean, it's just, it's really a lot to unpack, but I kind of just want to see from your end, like, do do you think that this is coming from just his mental health issues or do you think he's just really being a racist prejudiced person who wants to provoke situations? And to be honest, you know, (laughs) This guy, like you mentioned, he's he's said a lot. And mm-hmm. so when we talk about, I did some research on, when we talk about people with mental illness, particularly when you mentioned bipolar disorder, people with bipolar disorder tend to not be racist or anti-Semitic or have any type of aggressive form of literature against 
specific demographics of people when they're going through manic episodes. Right. And in his instance, I think that although he may have a history of bipolar disorder, he is, I think so. I don't know him personally, but I think that he is aware of every action that he is doing. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes with people of that status, right? He's a billionaire status. He got people that's around him. That's like, yes, men all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, whatever you do, we support. Cause he's giving them everybody a bag. So everyone that's around him, they're not telling like, bro, you, you're not doing right. You're not thinking right. Like, you're not right. moving right. You're losing all these deals, you know, at the end right. of the day. And I think because of that, that's also hurting his brand. It's hurting his legacy because he's not realizing the consequences of everything you say. If you really feel that way at that level that you're at, you got you to gotta keep that to yourself. Because right. like you mentioned, this man went from five, six billion to now his valuation is at $400 billion at the end of the day. So- yeah. I feel like when we talk about Kanye and again, he's been so much like he's been enlightening the media. But I think that we also need to give this man no attention because the more attention and the more that we feed into this man, the more that he's going to be pulling up out here. Because I've seen like 10, 5, 10 interviews this man has done in the last two weeks. But over the he's done more interviews in the last month than I've seen this man do over the last two years, bro. Right. So he knows what he's doing. And right. I'm not I'm not trying to disilluminate or uh, or try to disentangle the fact that he has mental health issues, but we cannot give him a pass off of that based off right. what he's saying. The fact that he's saying George Floyd died off of fentanyl rather than having a neck on uh, on his neck that causes hypoxia, that causes mm-hmm. him to have a cardiac arrest, that causes mm-hmm. him to die. Like, no, you 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 can't take that away, bro. It don't matter right. how manic you are. Like, someone dying is dying. There's something truly, you know what I'm saying, wrong with your own sense of empathy and sense of understanding. And in the white lives matter, I feel like some he's just doing whatever at this point, you know? And I think his bipolar is showing, but I also think that he just wants attention. He wants to receive and garner that he has this mind space where he deserves the world's, you know, um, criticism and understanding. And Mm -hmm. I, it unfortunately is hurting him. And I feel sorry also for his children because you see this guy is deconstructing his life. Yeah. You know, you, there's rarely we've ever had a billionaire that's a black man, bro. Like, you're supposed right. to maintain that, my guy. Like, why do you think you that people are still. Him? Why do you think that people are still, like, supporting him despite all the nonsense he's doing, like, in terms of buying, you know, his Yeezys or, you know, whatever other businesses he he's had um i think even skims right wasn't that like a Kanye thing too yeah like why are black people still doing that if we see that he's problematic if we see that he is you know just causing a lot of disarray in the black community why are we still supporting him because people don't care about the message man they care about the brand they care about Mm -hmm. it's yeezy they don't care about what's going on behind the scenes like Mm -hmm. it's fly it's fresh to be rocking the Yeezys, flying fresh to be talking about Kanye. So right. to them, is the deeper matter, the deeper sense, it doesn't affect them, you know what I mean? And they bottom line at the end of the day. And I think regardless, he's still going to be successful. He's Kanye after all. He could put an album out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They still going to stream it. He put mm-hmm. he go on an interview tomorrow. They still going to stream it. Mm-hmm. So regardless, I, like I said, we can't give this man so much attention that now he's just going to c- continue to perpetuate this behavior and he's going to self-implode. You know, and we saw that he bought up um, now he has Parler, which is a, you know, a very conservative uh, medium for a lot mm-hmm. of individuals. And, uh, you know, with the, the Candace Owens lady, you know, her husband owns that as well. So mm-hmm. we we know how he's moving and he's strategizing. At one point, he's talking about black liberation. But at the other point, four years ago, he talked about slavery was a decision by black people. So right. he don't know what he's doing. He's just doing whatever. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so we just got to leave this man alone at the end of the day, bro. Like right. we just giving him too much like fire and fuel to his passion that he continues going on and doing as he as he pleases you know what i'm saying so um what what are your thoughts though like some are saying that he trying to get out of this for out of his unwanted contracts with adidas and sketches and all of that like do you feel like this is actual movement for him or he just try he's self-employed that's, that's like, a big way to try and get out of a contract what he trying <laughs> to does he want the contract to, to burn up or something like that i mean you got to do you have to do all that to get out of a contract i feel like this is like kind of alluding to what you've already stated he's just trying to create attention make big noise in the media yeah. um at the expense of how it's harming 
people connected to him how, at the expense of how it's harming his brands and all the things he's like literally put money and time for, you know? So right. I think this is him not thinking things through the same way that Biden started saying, no forgiveness, no forgiveness. And he didn't think through some of those little things. That's what Kanye's <laughs> doing right now with the whole, you know, saying, let me make noise, but let, but I'm not thinking about how this could affect stuff that I've built over the past couple years. So right. yeah, I, I think he just has, he's not thorough in whatever he's doing. And honestly, we he can be, he's cut off. He's disinvited to the barbecue. And it's unfortunate that the barbecues are going to start ending soon, considering it's a change in season soon. You know, like we're entering fall, winter, right. uh, you know, weather now. So it's low vibrations, just like sis on, you know, was that a TikTok video or Insta? I don't know where that video is from, but low, vi- low vibrational per- plates and low vibrational yeah. seasons. <laughs> but that plate was yeah. <laughs> to get into a woman, uh, her woman uh, empowerment conference. Yo, that plate was high yeah. vibrationals, man. Like, I don't know what she was talking about. That girl is trash. I, <laughs> what? I would, play, I would just play like Cost that every time. Right. <laughs> 15k bro just to be told that your plate is low vibrational but you got the same food on the plate as the other person bro like what crazy like madness but yeah anyway getting back to the chain season so you know we're entering winter time that means viruses the stuff that makes us cold the stuff that makes uh gives us colds i mean and sneeze cough all that stuff so i don't think you know, we're in, of course, we're in the medical field. So we kind of know some of the viruses that are behind it. For most people, it's just called a cold or it's called the flu, but they're actually like specific viruses that cause these things. So RSV or respiratory syncytial virus, that's actually usually associated with young children. Mm -hmm. I think with RSV, that's what leads to stuff like, um, croup, I think the, the, yeah, the, or no, sorry, that, that might, is that RSV or is that parainfluenza virus? Parainfluenza, sorry. Yeah, so I remember RSV, sketchy with the little ghost and all yeah. that. RSV is more bronchiolitis, so like yeah. kids less than two years old that looks almost like it's an asthma attack, but really it's just bronchiolitis caused by RSV. So mm. that's something that is a winter virus. I saw a lot of that when I was on my peds rotation. So it actually ca- comes a little yeah. bit earlier than winter. It comes like around fall because we had a lot of kids who had bronchiolitis. Yep, there's patients uh, I've seen yeah with that already. Yeah. And then we have, of course, typical influenza. There's different types, influenza A, B, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that's like the flu versus COVID. Um, And we know what that can present with, right? It can go from things as simple as a fever, cough, uh, fatigue, sore throat to something as severe as like shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, headaches, you know, change of lung disease that causes Mm -hmm. you to be in ICU, which I've had patients with. Mm hmm. So it's not a joke. You know, we, we say COVID, we say the flu, all these things, but people sometimes don't realize how much it can escalate if not treated appropriately. So this is our message, you know, from the podcast to state that everybody needs to get their flu shots and their COVID boosters, stay protected, make sure you continue to wear your mask in crowded spaces, dress appropriately for the weather, wash your hands, use handset, like just do what you can to stay protected out here. Cause listen, I'm not gonna hold you. I was at homecoming this past weekend. Your girl did not do any of that. I I was out there. You're being very dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) I was bare bones, no mask, like no coat. (laughs) <laughs> just vibes and, and enjoyment. Out there, I know. <laughs> okay, I was not twerking. <laughs> Listen, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, what's her name? Um, no, I'm, I'm not. What's, I'm not Lizzo. Please, I'm, that's not. That's not my. <laughs> the one you had an issue with twerking with the flu. I'm not her, but you know, uh, <laughs> I was definitely on no. very low vibrations this past weekend. So I'm gonna tell everyone: don't be like me. Be better. Um, and in terms of the 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 place where you guys can go to get more info about how to stay protected against the cold and flu during this winter season, you guys can go to the CDC's website. So it's cdc.gov slash whatever it is that you want to search up. So if you want to search up flu, you'd say slash flu slash RSV, et cetera, et cetera. And there's other things too to consider. Um, Aldi, I think you can take this one in, in regards to just from a mental health aspect, uh, yeah. things that come up during the winter months that people tend to suffer with. Yeah, one of them, you know, definitely seasonal affective disorder. It particularly affects, you know, and occurs in climates where there's less sunlight at certain times of the year. And as we know, like here in Connecticut where I'm at, uh, the sun already went down by 5.30 p.m., you know, mm-hmm. and the sun regulates, you know, our sleep and wake cycle. But the sun also gives us the vitamin D, it gives us sustenance. And from that, we get all of our energy. And oftentimes in places where the sun goes down so early, 
uh, that could affect our depression, our mood, you know, when we talk about our thalamus, our eating habits. So being mindful that, you know, and I think even in residency, you know, I've been affected by that just off of like that winter vibe, that that cold that's coming in. And, you know, right. like you want to be happy, you want to walk out and see the sun, like it just makes you feel good. But right. then it's dark out there, you know, and actually it's affected me in, in terms of like I stopped biking because I know it's dark out here and, you know, I don't want to be rolling around with a hammer, you know, moving differently, you know, and going to work. But anyway, regardless, right. being aware of that. And also another thing is realizing that um, when we talk about, you know, the seasons affecting, you know, there are certain diseases also in regards to like migraines, for instance, when mm -hmm. there's a change between like fall and winter and winter and spring, right. having the wherewithal and the understanding that that can happen as well. So there are different diseases, more other issues and instances of that happening. But just coming into awareness of your body, just when the sun is, there's less of the sun, there's more of health effects as well right. in different ways, stress, hypertension, diabetes, different eating habits and things of that nature. You know? right. But on another note, when we talk about uh, winter, we, there's a lot of holidays pulling up. Mm -hmm. We got Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas and Kwanzaa. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's about to be a joy, joyous momentum and uh, something that's just so celebratory. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people who also have experienced loss or different relationships with family members may also experience depression, anxiety, and also fear during these uh, moments because oftentimes those are moments where we're centered around specific individuals. So I want to say to everybody that regardless of uh, the individuals that you've lost, their essence will always be with you during these special times. And right. you continue to live and forge your life and their legacy and remember them in these special moments. You know, the special moments, they last forever, although they're not here with you, you know. So we want to lift you up and and know that those experiences can cause mental health challenges and know that also that acknowledge that you are a human being and you deserve to be in the right positive mental mind, sta mind state. And you aren't alone. You know, make right. sure that you reach out to a therapist. Make sure that you reach out to the appropriate appropriate resource and acknowledge that what you got going on, it, it's not something that doesn't exclude you from getting help. It doesn't exclude you from getting better. That you have every opportunity to take that initiative and say, I'm going to move positive and I'm going to move forward toward a better day. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I want to shout out our very own Meg the Stallion, who actually continues ah. to push exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> you have to, you have to do it, man. Cause that's, that's her tagline. Yeah. <laughs> She's pushing forward exactly what you're talking about, which is, you know, awareness of mental health um, issues and making sure to reach out to the respective resources or hotlines to receive the help that you need if you're suffering from that. So she does have a website. Um, it's the nature Where of the, the name. name. It's not something that can be said on this G rated oh. podcast. Oh. But I will say, if you if y'all want to Google on your own end, Meg the Stallion Mental Health website, it'll pop up. So I'm not gonna. But once again, like I don't think it's necessary to say it here. <laughs> but, but I went um, on the website. I ain't gonna lie. Like I love the website. Honestly, she had a video, uh, a music video called Anxiety, and I listened to mm -hmm. her briefly, and that was mm -hmm. really dope. Just like the actual caption, right? And although I don't agree with the bad B word being part of the name of, cause that could also be demoralizing and perpetuating some of the issues that we face in our society. And many people are called that, especially a mm, black woman. Right. Uh, but I do agree with standing up for mental health and being an advocate. And I think she's doing it her own particular way. And at least she's doing it. Cause it's not a lot of, we got Taraji P Henson, mm -hmm. you know, we can't say there's a lot of people that stand up for mental health. So she's mm -hmm. doing it in her own lane that fits with who she is as an individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, I think maybe the fact that she said the bad, whatever yeah. thing in her website, I think that's just to stay true to her brand. Yeah. Um, you know, because that's what she is. So, you know, I, I don't think she wants to deviate from what she stands for, who she is and what her platform is for the sake of appearing professional. You know, we talked about professionalism. We talked about different ways that people try to kind of, um, right. Yeah. Kind of like mold themselves or shape shift into a space that's not really actually made for them so if she wants to name it this that the third i'm here for it sis i'll be logging in and listening to her music videos i think that's completely fine um and meg is a part of the rap girl gang you know category that i so love that i'm sure you 
possibly do too but sometimes some of the things that you have to say about these women i'm not so sure all these so i would say i love them but yeah. there was a lot that was going on recently uh with some of the big names um in rap some of the older names um so nikki lotto nikki and lotto and then nikki and cardi b so apparently Nikki made a point about her song Super Freak Girl being moved from rap categories into more competitive pop categories. She said that if hers was moved, that it was only right that Lotto's uh, rap big energy should also be moved <laughs> to pop categories. <laughs> so there was just a whole Twitter beef, you know, between the two artists, their fan bases. People were like sending a lot of really low blows to Nikki, oh, talk about uh, hashtag Super Freaky Grandma. You know, it, it's just a lot. And I just remember kind of before... Um, when Nikki was also in beef with Cardi. And I don't know why Nikki's always a common denominator when it comes to this beef. Honestly speaking, like, I think that, like, I think Nikki is possibly insecure about new girls, like, you know, coming into yeah. the scene. And it's sad because I grew up with her. Like, I grew up with her rap. And I feel, right. I feel like, you know, she represented a lot for other mm. Black women who really messed with her sound. And now... I don't know what's happening. Even her choice of who she married is just problematic. It's just like I don't even really like to get. <laughs> I don't. Really, <laughs> I don't really even like to get into celebrity stuff like that. Like you know me. Like I try to just like, mm -hmm. you know, I say it for the sake of the podcast. I, I read about it. I say it. But at the end of the day, these people's lives have nothing to do with ours. So I try no not fact. to get too consumed about it. But I do think it, it's getting a little problematic. I'm kind of interested to know your thoughts about the situation too. You know, this this issue comes up so often like this Nikki, Cardi B, and all these female rappers. And I'm like, yo, why can't y'all just collaborate, show love for each other? Particularly when we talk about New York rappers and New York female rappers. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like Lil' Kim, Nikki, Nikki, Cardi right. B. Like, hop on a song and just, like, dead that beef because y'all can make right. so much more money together than y'all can without each other at the end of the day. Right. And it's perpetuating, like, this catty stuff and black women not really supporting each other. And I feel like at this point, like there's no reason for us. Y'all both mature women. Everybody that's involved, y'all mature women. Y'all can handle mm -hmm. these situations like adults, like sit down and address. Maybe there's mm -hmm. trauma in their past that's making them real, making them feel insecure about why mm -hmm. they're moving this way. Or mm -hmm. maybe they feel like they're slighted. But even if that's the case, like I feel like you don't direct negative energy toward the person, at least like get inspired by that, get encouraged, like, yo, they moving, they moving bricks. They moving like units. So I gotta step my game up too. Especially when you're on the top, you're not always gonna be on the top. Unfortunately, right, you know, right. there's always gonna be somebody that's gonna surpass you. Like Michael Jackson wasn't always like at the top of his game for you know his whole career. You know, like LeBron James in basketball wasn't. It has not been at the top of his career for his whole career. So right. there's a lot of individuals and realizing that your star is gonna shine for only so long and being able to support even the younger generations. It's also important and being able to even collaborate could allow you to get back to where you was initially and people celebrate and support that more than they do you like diverging and going different energies. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. totally. And, you know, let them have at it. I'm not involved with myself in it. I'm not saying anything. Yeah. Let me the best rapper win. And that's all I'll say on that matter. And you know um, what? They not paying our student loans, but, uh, that's you know, it. Biden might be helping out. <laughs> I think he is helping out, but this pause, you know, on this federal student loans, uh, these lawsuits, you know, they really challenging <laughs> the plan. Uh, as of <laughs> October 28th, you know, the administration, they got two legal wins late last week. One case was filed by a taxpayer group in Wisconsin, which was rejected by the Supreme Court. And the other, uh, there was a dismissal by a federal judge in Missouri. But it was appealed, and within 24 hours, the U.S. appeals court had ordered the debt relief be temporarily put on hold. Like, horror? Mm -hmm. And it's crazy. Legal experts that spoke to NPR agreed that it would be highly unlikely for Biden to reinstate any debt that's already reduced or canceled, which mm. is good. But, you know, Cardi B and them ain't paying our loans, but Joe Biden... <laughs> You know, what's up? Like, what's going on? Like, what's your thoughts on, like, the, the pause on the federal student loan, like, lawsuits and, and all of that pulling up? Like, it's just so so much uncertainty in this process, and it's kind of frustrating. I put myself out, by the way, make sure, MO, like, make sure y'all make sure y'all apply for that student loan cancellation, mm -hmm. 20000 or 10000 depending on your situation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I put in that little bitty form that I don't know if it's going to result in anything, but I still filled it out with the quickness took like two seconds. So I That's advise everyone to fill it out because don't be caught up that, you know, we said, oh, it's not going to happen. Then the people who put who took the two seconds to fill Finish it out, it. now they're getting, now right. they're getting their 10,000 or 20,000. So I'm not going to be left behind <laughs> in these hundred right. hunger games. But I definitely think that um, once again, with Biden and kind of how he's moving with this, the student loan things. Honestly speaking, like, once again, I don't know if it's thought through, like, appropriately. I don't know how much he really has gotten the okay from whoever the respective parties are to get this okay. So I'm really just working with, like, it is what it is at this point. I can't stress myself over something that really is the job of him and the other respective parties in that administration to handle. And I think it's just kind of nerve-wracking or unnecessary stress for us to be worried about because at the end of the day they know what's necessary to do like they know what's next necessary for next steps for people to get that forgiveness and honestly if it doesn't happen then we right. just know that man is never gonna step foot in that office again right. <laughs> because a lot of people have been banking on that you know student loan forgiveness and like if it doesn't happen he's gonna disappoint a lot of people so i advise him from moving forward whatever comes out of your mouth triple check it make sure you have all the <laughs> You know, you have all the clearances necessary. Don't just start talking because things sound sweet and you're the president. You know, he mm. he has been doing a lot of sweet talk and not a lot of movement in terms of some of the big things he's been talking about. So I'm just going to sit back, relax and hope that, you know, we're in a lucky space here with these student loan uh, forgiveness plans. But hey, it, it, given Biden and kind of the position that he stands for in this political powerhouse, we know that it's time to continue to elect new leaders in political spaces as well. We have the yep. midterms coming up. Um, it's going to happen on Tuesday, November 8th. So mm-hmm. it's not, a, of course, it's not a presidential election cycle, but I do think that even just as important as the presidential um, level, we have to care about what's happening at the local, the state and the federal levels. And this is the exactly. elections that actually determine that. Cause that's what affects what you get in whatever state you live in. That's what affects what, it, what you get in whatever town you live in. And that's mm. just as important. So for all of our listeners, of course, um, you know how to, if you guys don't already know how to vote, you just go to vote.gov, you know, put in all of your registration. And from there you should be able to get a ballot. In terms of black candidates, um, mm-hmm. we have a, a good amount of number. There are actually 2,000 black uh, major party candidates vying for U.S. Senate, governor, and other high office positions across the country. Mm-hmm. One actually in the state that I'm currently residing in is Summer Lee. Um, she's trying to be the right. first black woman elected to Congress from Pennsylvania. And I actually read up a little bit about her. She has a very interesting background. She went to Penn State for undergrad, went to Howard Law. So, you know, some of that HBCU um, similarities that we have there. And another guy, Chris Jones, he wants to be the first black governor of Arkansas. Um, there's, you know, Stacey Abrams, who we already know. She's running for GA governor. You're from Georgia. Or are you from yep. Georgia? Oh, well, Not from New York, York, but, you know, but you, but you were in Georgia, Georgia for a minute. Yeah. I'll be yeah. Georgia. I miss Atlanta. I love Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's doing doing all that. But if, if you guys want a longer list kind of of all the black candidates, NBC News actually has an article stating all of the black candidates who are running for national office. So, you know... What do you think, Aldi, kind of just about voting this year and just the state of our democracy as it is? Because I think it's kind of a little bit in shambles, but I'm interested in like knowing what you feel about it. Uh, regardless, please go out and vote because your representatives will affect things like how much money is allocated to the education system, how much money is allocated to the roads, the same roads that you get tight about, especially in Connecticut when I be road riding around you know what I'm saying? These potholes crazy and be annoying me. Like those little things count. And these individuals, we have to be educated on. And to be honest, like it's dope to have a person of color in these positions, but also educate yourselves about everyone. Just because right. they're black doesn't mean like you have to necessarily vote for them. Of course, it's dope if they fit along with your own accomplishments and goals. And I love that we're having more and more people being a representative space. But I think that also like this is a special time again where we have the power to achieve what we want, especially in our communities. And the initiative is on us, like to build right. that turnout. Um, and again, like even like, I, I hate that, that this happened. And even in my own hood, like most people I know from my block, they don't go out and vote. And it's just so frustrating because I always try to tell them like, bro, like things like you talking about, like, yo, you paying 15, 20% of your taxes, like the person you're voting for, they could change that for you. Even if it's one, 2% change, Plus or minus, that's going to affect you. You know what I mean? Or your kid going to school 
on the block and you know what I'm saying is not like the teacher to student ratio things like that could change and get improved so having that awareness and wherewithal because I think oftentimes in our communities we're like oh that don't affect me like whoever goes gets in there like it's not going no it's going to change a lot of things you know what right. I'm saying especially when you talk about on the local level and I feel like we neglect the local level more than we you know, uh, uh, talk about like on the state level, like Stacey Abrams and all that. That's dope. But what about the actual state congressmen or the, right. you know, the, the district people that represent you? Those are the people that you really got to take time. As much right. as you go on Instagram, as much as you watch Netflix, you got to employ the energy to read about these people and make the adequate decisions and be empowered. And I think also I, what's unfortunate this voting system, there's also fails in that because how we, you know, we are just a illustrious society, but we haven't set up a system where, for instance, that we could vote on our phones, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I think that there's a strategic way in which they're trying to undermine certain populations, you know what I mean? Like people, like in the black community, many people can't drive to the voting polls because they don't got a car or take the train or they don't got enough bread or they're disabled right. and they can't move out the house like they want to move right. and stand on the line for two, three hours to get in the voting polls, you know what I mean? Right. So. That's another conversation that we could talk about, but I think that if you have the wherewithal to do it, uh, we should definitely get out there and vote. But how do you feel about it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I definitely, I small correction. I'm not sure if I said it incorrectly earlier, but there's actually two dozen black major party candidates, not 2,000. I don't know if I said 1,000 or dozen. It's all good. We love still, you. So 24 um black uh major party candidates and yeah like i think everyone go out and vote you know register to vote and make sure to be active when it comes to choosing who's going to represent you at a state level at a local level because those things are also important for sure um and we always have about two awareness months so we got to dive into the next one we just talked about kind of how voting especially for black communities is something that takes a lot sometimes for us we have to go right. out get the transportation do all of that but even there's things that a lot of black communities suffer from from a health standpoint that mm -hmm. we also have to continue to be mindful of and doing the best that we can to continue to prevent it from developing and that would be diabetes um that is something you don't have to be medicine to know about it you've heard about it you have like at least one person in your life who you know suffers from diabetes um and there are two kinds you have type one versus type two so type one pretty much how i like to think about it is that that's the one that people usually get um, at a young age most of the time because it's uh, usually it's like a genetic or autoimmune kind of thing. So you pretty much aren't born with any insulin. So it's insulin deficiency. Insulin is what helps our bodies process glucose. So when we eat something, our body needs to use it as fuel, but it's insulin that's going to help carry that glucose to be used as fuel. So people who have right. type one, they cannot, they don't have any insulin, so they need to use it's like look like insulin that they can inject themselves to process their glucose type two is usually one that people will develop at an older age that is insulin resistance so that basically means that due to hyperglycemia or having a lot of glucose in your body your pancreas is constantly secreting insulin all the time to the point that it's now no longer functioning in a coordinated way so now you have something called resistance of insulin where insulin may be coming in but it's not the body's not able to respond to it that kind of thing so that's type one versus type two. And type two is actually the most common, like I said, in adults, um, mm -hmm. over 90% compared to type one, just like I said, given the fact that it's actually developed later in life due to just honestly, whether it's, you know, poor diets with a lot of sugar or just, you know, other, other factors that could have you develop or just older age, you know, your body just not being able to recognize insulin as, mm -hmm. as it was before. Um, so that's something that we definitely want to, cause awareness or kind of give awareness to to our listeners who know someone who's probably suffering from either type 1 or type 2 diabetes there are risk factors like i said for type 2 diabetes hypertension high cholesterol or lipids history of cardiovascular disease or just having a first degree relative who has type 2 diabetes and there's different resources people can kind of you know dabble in for um, learning more about diabetes there's diabetes.org/tools-support and there's diabeteseducator.org as well so what about you, Aldi? I mean, you are like a whole doctor. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know somebody who lives with diabetes. Kind of how's, how has that, or how has your experience been in terms of managing patients who have it? Um, like, how has that counseling been for you? And, and what's your experience been like so far? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I've seen a good amount of patients with diabetes, and mm -hmm. especially in the hospital, whether we talk about type 1 people, especially 
that deal with DK or, you know, type two, um, having like hyperglycemic episodes with blood mm-hmm. glucose is like so high and uncontrolled mm-hmm. that, you know, what, what we unfortunately don't also emph- emphasize is that diabetes also predisposes a lot of individuals to other uh, risk factors and health issues, particularly uh, stroke, heart disease, coronary artery disease, uh, myocardial infarction, aka heart attacks, um, peripheral neuropathy, you can lose your vision. Mm-hmm. You can also have issues uh, with erectile dysfunction when we mm-hmm. talk about that. So there's many different things, but I think oftentimes, you know, um, most of the, you know, when we talk about America, 60 70% of people already have some form of pre diabetes mm-hmm. you know and are trending toward developing diabetes. And we have to be in a, we have to develop a, a culture and a society that's more conscious of dieting and health. But then it's very complicated because we are over inundated with working, over inundated with all of these issues that we don't emphasize health, but rather emphasize making money. And taking that initiative and that action and that wherewithal and understanding to say that my health is the most important thing and taking that priority is so critical. I mean, it's crazy how many patients I see, especially when we talk about diabetes. Insulin is one of the major uh, issues. Insulin is a very... Uh, um, um, expensive drug to get out here and mm-hmm. we have people that are admitted readmitted over and over and over because they can't afford a drug in the first place you know unfortunately right. and you know the, it's it's a very complicated disease but i just wanted to say that diabetes in itself um, may not necessarily kill you but the side effects from it can kill you right. and having the understanding that it is something that is preventable especially from type 2 diabetes i type 1 it's a little hard, but mm-hmm. most of the individuals that we talk about when we talk about diabetes are type two diabetics. Right. Getting control of your exercise, your weight, obesity is the number one f- risk factor for getting diabetes. Right. If you are overweight or training toward that, you, you know, it increases your risk. And of course, there's exceptions to the rule, but you know, getting out here, getting exercise, getting a good diet, as we all mentioned, and take steps little by little. You know, you're not going to change your life. You're not going to go from 300 to 150 pounds in two days. You feel mm-hmm. me? At five, six. But if you <laughs> take, I'm just saying, like, real talk. But Why'd if you, you throw in the height? Oh, my gosh. You're coming for, coming for the five, six community. Was I talking about? Was I talking about you? I wasn't talking about you. I didn't even know you was five, six. Oh, no, I'm five, four. Yeah, I'm, not even, yeah. I'm not even a part of that community yeah, either. Yeah, we, we met once. So I, I just didn't remember, you know. And, and some important stats to talk about when we talk about diabetes. Uh, according mm-hmm. to the National CDC, National Diabetes Statistics Report, 37.3 million people which is 11% of U.S. population have diabetes and 28.7 million have a formal diagnosis versus 8.5, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that are undiagnosed. So you got people that's walking around that don't even know that they are, again, having diabetes, increased risk factor for heart disease, stroke, peripheral neuropathy, where you start walking around and start tripping on yourself. You know, I had a patient, I remember like 10 years ago, Man had diabetes, couldn't feel his legs, couldn't feel his feet. This man, we opened, oh, uh, took his shoes off. This man had maggots in his feet, bro. Ooh, Eating up wow. that joint. That joint, like, smelled up the ER, son. Like, I had to walk. I was like, nah, I'm out. The ER doctor's like, yo, you good? <laughs> you know, like, so it's crazy, like, even talking about that. And of note, when we talk about diabetes, there are several tests to diagnose it, which include mm-hmm. the hemoglobin A1C test, which measures... Yeah a three-month average is your blood sugar. So a normal A1C is 5.7%. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you go above 5.7%, uh, anywhere between 5.7% and 6.2% is pre-diabetes. Anything mm-hmm. uh, above 6.2%, you have some form of diabetes. And I've seen people with, last week, someone had a 14.9%. You know wow. what I'm saying? So you just see, and then <laughs> certain instances like, you know how it is when you be reading, like looking at the lab values and be like greater than 14%, like the highest mm-hmm. it goes, like we don't even know what it is once it goes past a certain amount, you know, right. at the end of the day. So coming to the realization that a lot more people are affected by this and there are comorbid and uh, extensive complications that can come from it, you know, at right. the end of the day. So, yeah. And look at us just spitting, talking about diabetes like it's our day job. <laughs> it literally is. <laughs> Yeah. I don't want it to be uh, my day job, okay? <laughs> not going to be mine. I'm not choosing that specialty, but shout out to all the family med doctors. Shout listen, out to I, them. 
I actually loved my family internal medication. Yeah, and internal insulin, insulin sliding scale, Humalog, mm-hmm. you know, and all of the all different things. diabetes. So many different diabetes drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, internal med people, y'all get used to it. You know, y'all yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, they got it, but you know, it's it's Speaking actually that, that time. It's that time of the year though to Woo! actually start using specialties. You know, it is it Yay! is presidency interview season. You went through this last year, and now, yep. well, I will not be going through it just I yet. I can't wait but... till you go through it. You know, my little sis, you're gonna be. Oh, you know, I, I can wait. About what field she's going through yet? Because I know you're not gonna reveal that. But yeah, yeah, anyway. no, I'm not gonna say it on the podcast just yet. They they gonna find out on Instagram. It's gonna be a big reveal. <laughs> we sure know. Follow but that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you know, many people in their final year of medical school or just recent graduates of medical school are currently going to now be participating in the residency hashtag match 20, 2023 process. So they're looking for jobs. And right. you know, that is a very, as I can imagine, a very mentally tax taxing thing to be going through right now. I mean, this is literally four years of your life, or maybe even more, considering if you like maybe got an extra degree or if you took a year out or if you're a PhD mm-hmm. as well. Um, that's not going to accumulate in you choosing this job that's going to be what you do for majority of your career and so right now people they're interviewing with programs they're getting ready for their interviews or they're just waiting for interview invites so everyone's just kind of on a different phase right now of the process so i'm i'm sending love to everybody who right now is Mm. currently going through that because i know how you know stressful that can be and i'm interested aldwin for you to kind of talk a little bit about it because you went through not too long ago i mean give us some some insight as to how that looked for you and you know any maybe things you would have done differently or things you would advise people to do if when they yeah. do start the process uh yeah one thing i would say like uh in regards to when you're applying make sure you got like a separate email when you start applying because you're gonna you might get interviews and when you like get those interviews if you have your school email attached you might have like mad junk email and all that pulling mm-hmm. up from your school that's blocking you you know so make right. sure you do that when you're on rotation and stuff. Let people know, like from a pleasant perspective, like, hey, I, I may have interviews going on. So could I have my phone out? Uh, for instance, like I was aware that people are like when I, on my last rotation at two, four years with me. I'm like, I know y'all applying because I want to be aware. I always, again, give people grace. And that's like y'all can have your phones out. Anybody say anything that I'll be like, I told them to do that, you know, mm-hmm. Just, because your timing, your timing got to be right because if you don't get to that email and schedule your interview, that's mm-hmm. going like mess you up because you might have the last interview of the season, and right. who's to say that can benefit you, hurt you at the end of the day? If it's your top program, you may they may be a spot in the beginning, and you're like, I'm not ready to like show off like that and show out. You know what I'm right. saying? Or it might be a spot toward the end, and be it may be like you're exhausted at that point, and you may not give 100 percent the energy that you want. So um, being able to do that, uh, what I realized too in the process is like use your network. You know, like I use a lot of my before I I, end, I, I attended. I know it's a little late for the people that are actually like interviewing and applying now. But mm-hmm. when you go to all those meet and greets and stuff, like make sure that you get in touch with like the chief residents and all the residents mm-hmm. show good energy and mm-hmm. show good faith that you're really interested, even if it's not a program that you're interested in, because you'll get an interview just based off of that. Or that'll be like a discussion topic when you interview like, hey, I attended this event on, I don't know, like September 25th. And mm-hmm. I could talk to this and that resident about this and that about the program. And I really like mm-hmm. this and that. You know what I mean? It shows the initiative. They want to see that you're showing initiative and interest and that you're encouraged by what you're going through. Right. Another thing is, um, realizing you're going to be fatigued, man. Like if you, especially if you got a good amount of interviews, like zoom interviews, I remember my zygomaticus muscle was just twitching. Like I was like <laughs> the whole oh, time yeah. you feel me, like, yeah. I was like, yo, can we stop? <laughs> like you just right. smiling and stuff. So be ready, prepare your, your muscles for that. And like go into the game with confidence, you know, they mm-hmm. chose you and selected you for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, uh, You've worked so hard to get to this point, regardless of the outcome, you a doctor and nobody could change that. You have the knowledge, you have the wherewithal, you have the skills, you have the awareness to know that God got your back. Destiny will favor you in one way or another, you know, and, right. I, and I feel like I've run into people oftentimes that are questioning like this process. But regardless, if you got five or 25 interviews, whatever comes your way, you blessed. Mm-hmm. You are going to be a doctor and you're going to figure this 
And that's it. And for those who are listening, who are either close to that process, or maybe they still have a way to go in, in case you don't really know about the match process. It's usually from mm-hmm. October to January. Those are the months where you get the first round interviews at different programs, plus or minus some like meet and greet sessions, as you already stated, all done with current residents and faculty. Then applicants are going to submit their rank list of programs in February. And then they're going to find out where they match in March, which is like March is like this celebratory month where everybody's like, waiting Mm -hmm. for the day to figure out where they're going to spend the next three plus years because the minimum is really three years for any program and then can go up from there um and then i feel like not term but i feel like we got to explain even like the rank process because i've run across like a lot of pre-meds and even like first second year med students about what the rank list or rank process is like so Mm -hmm. how it works is that so you go through basically you apply through the eras you apply for programs, you interview for those said programs, and you mm-hmm. rank those programs. And what the rank means is that the programs you interview at, and sometimes I've had my boy at Temple tell me for anesthesia that they got somebody that didn't even interview there that they ranked. But most of the times that um, you rank a program and they rank you based off of your interview, your, your personal statement, right. your GPA, and stuff like that. So right. how it works is that, so you go into the match, you put down all the programs that you interviewed at. Mm-hmm. So let's say you rank a program number one. If they rank you number one, you go in there, right? Mm-hmm. But if you mm-hmm. rank a program number one and they got seven, eight spots and they rank you 15th or 20th, mm-hmm. and those seven, eight spots are filled by other people that rank them number one, mm-hmm. you're not going there. So you go down to your second spot. And once mm-hmm. you go down to your second spot, it's the same thing. So you, your second spot, if they rank you and they got seven spots and you're not in their top seven or eight right. or whatever the case may be, then you go to your third spot. So that's right. how, like, a lot of people are confused about the rank. Uh, it gets a little more complicated than that, but I want people to know that, you know, the ranking is, is based off of how the program feels about you and how you feel about the program itself. No, and you beautifully explained it. And there's actually a YouTube video um, called how the NRMP, which is actually the name of the company that does Mm. the whole ranking thing, um, Mm -hmm. how the NRMP matching algorithm works. So Mm -hmm. if you search that up on YouTube, it should pop out, you know, kind of a helpful video that further explains it. And, you know, the the actual part that most people do try not to talk about, I think, because it just induces a lot of anxiety for a lot of people, is just like how hard it is sometimes to just match given the limited number of residency residency spots Tough. for the amount of applicants each year, and like that's, that's a really, you know, stressful, sad thing to think about because sometimes some people are coming from certain schools or certain areas will maybe be at lesser disadvantage and have to really kick yeah. up just to get a spot. And so um, I'm sure that's something that maybe you could at some form relate to if you had any peers who were going through that, or if you yourself felt that way um, in terms of just like having to scramble and like fit, like hope and pray, is there a spot available for me? But like what you said, it's really all about having faith in yourself, knowing that if like, if it's meant to be that you're going to be at a certain program, that it's going to work out. And I'm sure you handled that with grace because here you are a whole resident mm-hmm. at a great spot. Um, so oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, speaking to that, you know um, you know, I think uh, in my, in my scenario personally, I think there's still a bias, you know, being a DO. Right. Um, in particular programs, you know, there was even a stat that showed that uh, for DO applicants, program directors favor applicant having a USMLE Lee score more than they favor them having a Comlex score, which doesn't make sense because we have Comlex. Comlex is our accredited body. You know, that's how we get our license. If you don't have the Comlex, we don't necessarily mm-hmm. need to take the USMLE. But then some people take it, you know, it's added expense. But then also, uh, you know, my case, like I had a misdemeanor and stuff like that. So that affected me. I still got interviews and stuff like that. And I want people to know also like this caveat, just because you got red flags and things in, in, in your past and things mm-hmm. of that nature, like that doesn't exclude you from being a physician or getting right. into residency. You know, um, there's a way that you could maneuver and navigate that as well. Um, but also realizing, yes, there's a scarcity. Last year, there were 47,000 people that applied for the match, you know. And I think, I believe it was like probably like 35, 36,000 spots, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about 12,000 people that legit didn't make, these are all med students graduated or about to graduate and become physicians that didn't get a spot. So the realities are oftentimes like that more people, a lot, a good amount of people won't get a spot or they'll be, for instance, I had a 
individual, a friend of mine, that she had to actually uh, go through the um, the uh, the scramble process. You know, mm-hmm. and she was very devastated, um, but ended up going to a program that she liked at that particular time. You know, so things happen, and I want people, regardless of the outcome and whatever happens, to go in with good faith, go in with confidence. This process, like where I'm at for residency, I didn't expect to be there. You know, that was actually my 10th choice, to be honest. Mm. So, you know, you can't, you don't know what, what the energy, the vibe is going to be yeah, like, but you just yeah. flow with what, what what's going on and know that you bless because most many people thing, wish right? to be with you. Most That's important it. thing, like getting your check as well, right? Like we know that the funding for residency <laughs> programs actually comes from Medicare. Medicaid, um, yeah, Medicare, yeah. Yeah, Medicare, Medicaid, and Thankfully, we represent a podcast and an organization, SNMA, who have actually been trying to advocate more um, through a legislative yes. to increase the number of residency spots um, since we just know Congress hasn't really been doing much on their end. So I'm right. grateful that we're also representing an org that's, you know, um, dedicated to that mission as well. But listen, in, in the light of money and just all that talk, I mean, Mr. Mr. Financial Corner, let's let's get into your little mm-hmm. your little corner. <laughs> let's get into the, the corner. Yo, we, low, we got to do the bars, you know what I'm saying? We're going to do, do a little it. rap song. Well, <laughs> next episode, I gotcha, you know. Uh, well, like this time, you know, I want to talk about oftentimes, you know, everybody that's listening, whether you're pre-med, med student, you're going to be a doctor regardless. You're going to have assets. You yourself are a brand. You are an asset. You represent money in itself. Right. Because of your knowledge, your education, you will be able to apply whatever you got going on to your patients, to your community, to the government, to politics, whatever the case may be. And so oftentimes what we see is that there's a question of not realizing what we got going on today could affect our future progeny. We're so focused and intent on what's going on right now, but leaving an everlasting legacy for our grandkids. And even if you don't want to have kids for people that are coming behind you, you know, your, your great grand nephews, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. it's so important in the black community in, in, in general, and also in underserved communities, we forget this. And I want to talk about what trust and wills are, you know, what we know is that over the next 25 years, an estimated $68 trillion will be transferred to heirs in their charity. You know what I mean? Wow. And in America, 80% of the wealth or 80 to 85% of the wealth is owned by 10 to 15% of the population in America. Mm. But what is interesting is that people think that millionaires are born but no millionaires are created 70 to 80 percent of millionaires that are today are self-made they didn't even receive an inheritance Mm. right so when we look at chadwick bozeman prince aretha franklin one of the things i wanted to talk to you guys about was a will versus a trust they didn't even have a will we saw with chadwick bozeman his estate was worth three to four million right and it was arguing back and forth like all right where this money's going his wife his parents, like his cousins, whatever wow. the case may be. And what we note is that 70% of African-Americans in America don't have a will and 25.5% approximately have a will or have some form of a trust versus 33% right. of the general population. And the median black house uh, wealth of a household is going to be projected to be zero by 2053. Wow. So, so many other population of people they relay all of that generational wealth from generation to generation to generation but Mm -hmm. with us we don't realize what we're doing and when we talk about wealth i'm not talking about money bro i'm talking about if your assets you got a house you got a car like of course that depreciates but you know what i'm saying (laughs) like no real talk even you got a business like you you know what i'm saying like you own a laundromat or whatever the case may be that is something that is highly transferable to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And I think even in our case, in our age, whether you're in your 20s, your 30s, being able to have the awareness, and it's never too late to start a will, but in particular, a trust. Now, the difference between a will and a trust, a will designates how to manage your assets upon your death. Mm-hmm. And early termination is very possible. When we talk about John Singleton, who, you know, uh, was one of the uh, producers for Boys in the Hood and all of these movies. He was another case. Mm-hmm. He had seven, eight kids that he had a will, but they were vying for his estate. And in 1992, his first daughter, 
was born at that time, man. He made the will and gave, at that time, the money and estate to her. Okay. But he had six other kids, and he never, like, you know what I'm saying, renewed the will and, you know, uh, recreated it and edited it after that. So right. there was a whole fight based off of that. And what we find is that wills, there is allowability and availability for them to be uh, sent to probate where things can be discussed. But when you got a trust, a trust creates a separate legal entity that holds your assets. Again, assets, not just money. It's your mm-hmm. business. If you own a brand like, you know, Kanye, like whatever the case may be, if you own a restaurant, if you own a house, if you own your own podcast and is making money off of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um they hold the assets and they can, on behalf of that person, give those assets to the individuals. And you don't have to be dead to get those assets versus the will. So, for instance, at age 18, you could create a trust where when your kids get 18 years old, you've got 100K in there. They get in that 100K. But versus a will, you got they got to wait till you die. It don't matter, like, their age. It matters when you die, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Regardless, a will is basically like a basic form for individuals that have not a non-complicated asset allocation. But I think for us in medicine, like, for instance, a lot of us want to be entrepreneurs. A lot of us, you know, of course, want to work in the hospital, but we want to go into different aspects and avenues of accomplishing things. Having that trust and building a legacy is not about just today, especially in the black community. Like, building, having that trust could really negotiate and really revitalize what having the economics in the black community looks like oftentimes disparities are kind of like what like what's causing black people to kind of miseducation not not really taking the time to you know again we're just people are focused on just living like they focus on the and which is understandable right and we look at maslow's hierarchy of needs if Mm -hmm. you can't live if you don't got enough bread to get food and yeah, yeah, in, in in your refrigerator or water into your mouth to get right. hydrated, you're not gonna worry about the next level of right. what my progeny, what my kids, you know, uh, grandkids, excuse me, are gonna look like, or my great grandkids. So I think like having that basis, but also like again having the education. We learn about Christopher Columbus and all of that, but we don't learn how to navigate this, and that's why when we talk about household median finances in the black community or transference of wealth, this happens all the time people die and there's always some like there's the government takes some of the ch- some of the money some of the assets sells it all because there's no will there's no trust in place of of a family member you know dying you feel mm-hmm. me so it yeah. goes to the government but meanwhile they got a family thousand miles you know they may be in the east coast and they got a family member thousand miles away a nephew that could have benefited from that you know what i'm saying so it was oftentimes especially in our communities where we got to be able to sit down. And of course, there's lawyer costs and all of that. But having that wherewithal, like that promotes generational wealth, which will then promote wealth for our community. So right. I think everybody that's listening for all my future doctors and current doctors, having that will in place or that trust, which I specifically I employ having that trust because that could, you know, you could really navigate that more fully and uh, and put in place specific things and, and 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 promotions for your family without you dying. That that is so key and important. I love it. Building and establishing generational wealth for Black communities. That is the take home of the corner, the financial corner by Doctor. Corner, corner. We love it. So you know what it is. That's our show. Yo, good looking for listening to this episode. Like, we appreciate y'all joining this episode of the Lounge. I think it was fun packed. You know, uh, shout out to Erica. We didn't have her on this episode, but we love her. She got her own things going on, but we holding it down and she, she gets back. And let us know your thoughts about the discussions we had today or ask us a question for a chance to be featured on the show by emailing us at podcast at snma.org. And be sure to follow the SNMA on all our social media platforms to stay up to date on upcoming events. Thank you guys once again for listening to this different episode of The Lounge Without Queen Erica. We'll see you next episode. Queen! Yeah. Outro music. I don't know what it is, but yeah, no, I'll be vibing out.